right, pull your notes out for today's message. Good to see all of you here this morning. I want to talk with you today about why we need each other in the body of Christ. I will tell you that I cut my spiritual eye teeth on Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Every Pentecostal did. And it's that portion of Scripture that talks to us about the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the newly forming church after Jesus ascended into, into the clouds and back to heaven. He sent the power of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And that portion of Scripture, verse 4, ends that segment by saying, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We at Life Church believe in that. We at Life Church believe that God is still doing that in the lives of hungry people. And there are hundreds of people all over this church fellowship who have been introduced into the reality of what is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We didn't come up with that title. John the Baptist came up with that title. When he looked at Jesus and said, he's the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we believe in that experience, that it's still true, still relevant, still real in, in the world today. But Acts has more than one, than, than a first half to it. Acts chapter 2 has more than just a first half to it. It also obviously has a second half to it. And it's in the second half that we learn how we are to function as God's people, as a body of believers in this, uh, in this world of growing unrest um, that we live in today. And this is what the last six verses of Acts chapter 2 tells us, beginning with verse 42. They, it's, it means the, the people who received Christ, uh, the, the new believers in Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look again at verse number 42. I don't know, Debbie, maybe you can go back one slide or something, but it says here that they devoted themselves to four specific things. And we'll give those four things to you here. Number one, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, number one. That's the foundation of their faith. They devoted themselves, secondly, to fellowship, it says. I'm not going to comment on each one of these. I'm going to talk about fellowship in just a moment. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this would be considered by many to be the communion of their lives together. And number four, to uh, prayer. And that's self-evident what that's about. Now, there are a couple of observations that I want to make from verse number 42. First thing that you will notice is that the Bible says they devoted themselves to these four things. I think that word devoted is a very important word. It means literally 
to be earnest towards something, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to give oneself constantly to. Uh, and so these words speak to us about a level of commitment, about a prioritizing of something in your life. And no matter how emotional you are towards something, emotions themselves will not keep you committed to something. You have to devote yourself to it. Like take marriage, for instance. There are times that your feelings of, of unconditional love are extremely high in a marriage relationship. And there are times that you're straining in your relationship with one another. What keeps you married at high times and low times is your devotion to one another. And the same thing is true spiritually. When we devote ourselves to these four specific things, we become strengthened in our walk with God. Let's look at how some other translations render that word devoted or the phrase there. The King James Version says they continued steadfastly. You know, that's a, that sounds like a King James word. Steadfast commitment to something. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, they were continually devoting themselves. And so what you get from this is the continuation of devotion. One of the problems that a lot of people have in their spiritual walk is they devote themselves to something on Sunday, but by Monday morning they've walked away from it or they've forgotten it already. You have to continually devote yourself to your marriage, to your job, to your God. The Message Bible puts it, they committed themselves. The Amplified says they steadfastly persevered. I like that word, persevered. It's not always high emotions. There are times of perseverance in your relationship with God. So it gives us the idea of, of an undivided attention, a full commitment to something. It's kind of like the song we used to sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'll not turn back, you know. It takes full commitment and devotion to make that happen. And these new believers in Christ, they weren't any different than you. They had come, some of them, out of a religious system, some out of no religion at all. No, no different than you and me, but they were new believers and they understood this. They had to devote themselves fully to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves. The second observation I want to make from verse 42 is, is what they devoted themselves to. I've already mentioned the four things, but I specifically now want to center in or zero in on what uh, on the second thing, that, that uh, the second of the group of four, which is the word fellowship. Fellowship means much more than just being together. Uh, we are together in this room, but it doesn't mean that we have fellowship with each other. For most of us here today, the truth is you're staring at the back of somebody's head, probably somebody's head you don't even know. And so it becomes very easy when you're in a crowd to be with people, but to actually be alone. You can be with thousands of people and feel very much alone because you don't know the people around you. You don't know their name. 
You don't know anything about their life. So just being in the same room with someone doesn't mean that you're in fellowship with them or that fellowship is taking place. The Greek word translated fellowship here is a familiar word if you've followed the Lord for a while. If, you, if you've been in, in, in Christ for a while, you've probably heard this word mentioned from the pulpit before. It's familiar in Christian circles. It's the word koinonia, which means to have in common or to be together in tight fellowship or relationship. That's what it means. Now, in, in this case, I think the Message Bible really gets, gives us the best idea of what this kind of devotion means to fellowship. They translate it, they were devoted uh, or that they devoted themselves to life together. I like that. They devoted themselves to the seasons of life. Carrie and I have uh, three other very close uh, ministerial friends. Two of them are superintendents from various districts, and another is a, is a pastor in our, in our district. And we have known each other since college days. And we have been devoted to each other through the seasons of life. We've had our children. Our children have grown. We've changed in our ministries. We've, we've become pastors of different churches in different areas. We've taken on, some have taken on different assignments of, of, of leadership over a whole district of, of pastors. And yet within that context, we have remained very close friends. We do vacations together. We fellowship together. We share our hearts. We share what we love. We are devoted toward one another through all the seasons of life. And when we've had struggles, we have strengthened one another. When we've had victories, we've rejoiced with one another. And as we're growing older now, we have the challenges that come with older age that happens within the human condition. These are things, this is what it's talking about here when it's talking about uh, fellowship. It's, it's having life together, doing life together. I don't have this in my notes, but it just comes to my mind, so it must be from the Holy Spirit. These people who jump from church to church to church, they know nothing about life together because they don't stay in one spot long enough to to interact on that kind of level with anyone. You cannot jump from church to church and hope to have koinonia with a group of people. The only way you can have koinonia is you've got to move into a deepening life together relationship with people that you're committed to for a lifetime. Hallelujah. That's good. I appreciate Thank you very much. That's all right. That's right. I'm fine with myself. Now, I've had relationships within the body of Christ that have, have been on that level. I've told you about some friends, but even within local churches that we've pastored. And, and you can share your life with people like that. You can open up to them. You can, you can, um, you can let people see your inner spirit and your inner heart. And it's great. And people who are worthy of seeing that are the kind... Uh, who, who have that kind of, you have that kind of relationship with, um, don't abuse what they learn about you. 
Don't abuse your, your imperfections and use it against you. They stand with you. They support you. They correct you when, they, when it's needed. You know we're supposed to correct one another? You know, we kind of get this idea we're always supposed to say good things. Well, we do say good things. Sometimes we say, don't do that, and that's a good thing, you know, uh, because they love you. But I've also had relationships with some of God's people that are not like that. They were critical, fault-finding. You, you don't have fellowship, koinonia, with people like that. You tolerate them. Um, sometimes God's word says, put up with one another in love. Uh, the people you're putting up with, you're probably not having koinonia with. You're not going to have koinonia with everybody. But you need to have koinonia with some of God's people and connect with them. This kind of biblical fellowship implies influence. You're going to influence them, they're going to influence you. If I have fellowship with other Christians the way God intends it to be, positive influence will occur. You know, correction can even be a positive thing, right? It can be a positive thing. I'll influence them, they'll influence me. This is all good. But people who are critical, people who are judgmental, don't influence me. I tolerate them. I won't be pulled down to their level. And you have to be careful about that. You've got to be careful about who you allow to influence your life. Do you know that? Not everybody within the body of Christ or that comes to church is worthy of influencing you. Just because they're in here doesn't mean that they're worthy of influence, that you allow them to influence you. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. How many of you know that that's true? Faith cometh by hearing, says, the, says uh, God's word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right, that's what the verse says. So faith comes by hearing. But what I have learned through the years is that doubt can come by hearing too. And so you have to be careful because if you hang around the wrong person, if you hang around the wrong crowd, it can, it can pull you right back in to some of the traps that God delivered you out of. It can turn you from a faith-filled person to a person who's, who sees nothing good happening because you've allowed that to happen within your life. I got a letter from, a, from an inmate, and I bring it up because he told me the, the tragic story of his life in this letter as I read it. And I thought, man, that applies exactly what I'm preaching about today. He told me the story of his past life in gangs and drugs. He told me, get this, that he had spent over 36 years of his life behind bars. Like, oh, my word, how tragic. My heart broke for him. And he said that he finally was released from prison not long ago, only to go right back to the old crowd again that he had been delivered from. And sure enough, he got right back into to drugs, got right back into the gangs, again and guess where he's at today right back in prison again the point is the old crowd led him back into his old ways and that happens to inmates but it can happen to anyone who hangs with the wrong crowd and so when you give your life to jesus it's not like you all of a sudden won't have anything to do with your old friends but you've got to be careful about what you allow them to influence you to believe and influence you to do you may hang with them to a certain degree, but you've got to start separating yourself to a higher goal. It's hard to fly like eagles if you're running around with turkeys all the time. Right? 
There comes the time that you have to break the cord that ties you to your old life. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And I've heard it a thousand times the other way around where people say, well, I'm going to influence them and all this stuff, but God's word warns you about that. It's the other way around usually. So it doesn't matter how strong you think you are. If you hang with the wrong crowd long enough and let them influence you, it will corrupt you. And listen, folks, it's not just flesh and blood people. The crowd you hang with can be on the television set. The crowd you hang with can be on the movie screen. You see what I'm saying? you got to be selective about what you allow to influence your life. Amen? All right. But when your fellowship is with the right people, their influence can be incredible. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So now we've got the right kind of influence happening. And then verse number 3 says, The Lord bestows blessings in that environment and even life forevermore. So in unity, God bestows blessings and favor. In unity, God bestows life. It's in unity that miracles flow. It's where there's unity that lives are changed. It's in a home of unity that your kids grow up to have a great, great uh, future and great values and, and great dreams for their life. It's in a home where there is unity, where there is disunity within a home. I've seen it thousands, thousands of times that kids will walk away from the parents' professed faith. They'll walk away from what they know to be right, and they'll get involved in every destructive habit and, and activity. And it doesn't mean every kid who does that, their parents are, or their home is in disunity. But it is to say that oftentimes where there is disunity, those things will manifest. Death means decay. If unity brings life, disunity brings death, and death will bring, bring uh, decay. So whether it's your family has life or death or decay depends on your unity together. And, and whether Life Church is a church that influences this community with life or with decay depends on the unity that we have together as a fellowship. Amen? It really has nothing to do with with how great the worship team is. And they're wonderful. But they aren't the key to changing lives. The key to the atmosphere of this church is the unity that you and I have together in the common faith. Unity doesn't mean that we see everything the same way all the time. It means that even when we don't see things the same, we fight not each other, but we fight to keep our relationships unified. We won't let anything divide us. We won't let any malcontent divide us as a body of believers. Some of you are allowing the wrong people to influence your spirit and your heart, and it's pulling you away from the leadership of this church. It's pulling you away from the, the, the people who attend this fellowship. You've got to decide now that you, you, you've got to get into a relationship with people that will build you up instead of constantly pulling you down. We need to learn to disagree in a godly way. So let me give you some suggestions on building unity together. Three things. You've got to work hard at knowing one another. You can't be unified very well or easily with people you don't know. And so let's be honest. Once a church reaches over about 100 people, you start losing the intimacy of the family life. Well, Carrie and I have pastors. We started a church 
1978, and so we know what it was. We know what it's like to pastor a church of, you know, 15 and 20 people, and there is there's a joy in in a church of that size. There really is. You, you, uh, you know everybody. Of course, that can also be a negative. You know, you know everybody. You know, but. There, is, there was a lot of fun that was associated with the church and as it grew, because the dynamic of the love and faith that everybody had, it just drew people, it was like a magnet. And the church grew and grew and grew. And then once we got about 100, 125, 150, we started noticing that we didn't know everybody quite as well. And when we'd have church parties and stuff, everybody didn't show. And in the early days, everybody showed up for everything, you know, because if they didn't, everybody knew they weren't there because everybody knew everybody. But once the church started getting bigger, you kind of lost track of everybody. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's not that they weren't important. It's just that you don't, you can't remember everybody and everything all the time like that. And, and so it's easy when a church grows to get lost in a crowd. Now, there are blessings that come from a church growing too. In fact, I can't imagine how terrible it would be to be in a church that never reaches a soul for Christ. So one of the reasons I'm excited that Life Church is growing so much is because that means we're reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. On any given Sunday in Life Church, there are going to be somewhere over 1,200 people in our, one of our three services. So that, that's a lot of folks, right? How many of you know absolutely everybody that's in this room today? You know every, every person. Just take a look around. How many of you don't want to know everybody that, that's here? You say, man, I'm glad I don't know him. No. Well, we won't go there. <laughs> so if we have around 1,200 people, that makes it really easy to get lost in the crowd, you know, to not know people. The key is you've got to work hard at getting to know people. Some of you work real hard at staying anonymous, at staying on the edges. You come in late, you leave fast, you don't want anybody to talk to you. Okay, that's all right for two Sundays. After that, you're going to go to hell if you keep doing that. <laughs> the Lord just told me. Well, that, that might be extreme. Maybe that's not going to happen. But I, I am just saying that it's not right. You know, it's not right for you to not know people, to not reach. Maybe you're an introvert. You're not an extra. You know, I'm kind of an introvert. Carrie's a real extrovert. You've probably noticed that about us, that I'm very shy and... and <laughs> I, I have a hard time uh, talking to people. Carrie, boy, she just integrates with everybody, you know. I have noticed people would rather talk to her than talk to me. Now that I have noticed. But no, I'm more of an extrovert. She's more of the introvert type, you know. And that probably doesn't surprise you. Introverts have a little bit of a harder time connecting with people. It's not like you have to connect with everyone, but it is good for you to connect with some. You do have to connect with some. How can we have koinonia fellowship with each other if we don't know each other? So Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing so near. So I bumped into this young lady at, at, a, at a box store this, uh, well, recently, some, some couple months back. And uh, she was the, she's the cashier, you know, and I'm checking out, and I'm using my credit card, and I hand her my credit card, and on the credit card, it says see photo ID on the back. Now, most companies, most people don't notice that, but she noticed that. So she said, I need to see your photo ID. And I said, well, don't you know who I am? <laughs> she kind of looks at me blank, you know, and I said, do you ever watch Channel 2 News? 
And she's, she just stares at me. Now, I, I pulled that on a waitress once several years ago downtown, and she did the same thing. I, Can I see your ID? And I said, well, don't you know who I am? And she says, no. And I said, do you ever, I use Channel 5 this time. Do you ever watch Channel 5 news? And she looks at me and she says, I know who you are. And she tears off and she goes back to the kitchen. This is a true story. Opens the door and I get three heads sticking out the door looking at me. I have no idea who she thought I was. But anyway, I, it's fun. And so I did the same thing to this gal. I said, don't you know who I am? She says, no, I don't know. She, well, anyway, I said, don't you know who I, I am? And she says to me then, yes, I know who you are, but, I, but not from Channel 2. She says, you're the pastor of Life Church. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. That's somebody else. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, uh, I said to her, well, what church do you go to? And she says, oh, I don't go to church hardly ever. But when I do come, I come to yours. And uh, I said, we love having you there. And I, and I really hope that you'll reconsider and start making this a priority of your life because in the world we're living in today, you know, just going once in a great while isn't going to cut it. You know, I know I'm rambling here and good grief, I'm out of time. So I shouldn't, so I'm going to wrap this up real fast. But last week, you know, when the guy shot the kids up there at the college, at first we didn't know this, but we found out since then that he targeted Christians. You know that, don't you? I want all of you to stand up. What's your faith? And if they said they were Christians, he popped them in the head. And uh, that's been happening in the Middle East for a long time, persecution against Christians. And I'm going to tell you something. You're never going to have the ability to stand in that kind of a situation for God if you haven't been in fellowship with God's people because that's where strength is derived. You have got to have relationship and unity. You're going to feel the faith of God, even though the the people that of the church may not even know what you're going through at that moment. But you're not going to be able to stand for Jesus in critical moments, whether it's that kind of extreme situation or maybe you're being ridiculed for your faith at school. or some, you know, You're not going to be able to stand unless you have fellowship with people that you know you can take your burden to later, later on. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says not to neglect uh, our church service. And notice it says there at the end, especially as we see the day of Christ's return drawing near. It's because of the strength that we derive from one another. Number two, let me go quickly. Work hard at forgiving each other. So to get to know me, you're going to have to forgive me eventually. Right? There is no human relationship that's perfect. None. You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to learn how to forgive one another. Um, I've had married couples tell me, you know, we've never had a fight. And I've, I've wanted to ask him, do you ever talk? <laughs> because everybody knows that men and women see life differently. M men see life right and women see life wrong. <laughs> and God has, has given these women to us to correct, to help to see the right way. How many of you guys believe that? Yeah, some courage in here. There's also some wimps in here that did not raise their hand because they're sitting next to their wife. <laughs> All I can say is pray for me, folks, because I, I have to go home now. 
Now, here at Life Church, you know, we're all different. Uh, ethnically, we're different. Some of us are black, some of us are brown, some of us are white. Um, we, we come from educational differences. Some of us are highly educated, some are lowly educated. Economic differences, some people have money, some have very little. Um, we have Democrats, we have Republicans. Um, and so we are a device body. The only thing that we have in common around here is we're all forgiven. That's, that's what we've got in common. And because Jesus has forgiven me the huge debt I owed him, he says, it's my obligation to forgive you the small little thing you've done against me. You say, well, it's not a small thing. I was abused as a kid. I know that's huge. But compared to what God has forgiven, it is small. And, and we've got to be people who forgive. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Philippians 2. Make me truly happy, Paul writes, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one, or one, another, with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Colossians 3, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each, with each other. You know what that means? That means put up with one another. There's going to be times you're going to put up with me as your pastor, but you have to because God said so right there. <laughs> you have to do it. And notice what it says next, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. All right, go to number three. Work hard at believing the best about each other. Um, about each other and for each other. So when you go back to the end of Acts chapter 2, the scripture tells us some powerful things ha happened in and through the people because of their fellowship with each other. Verse, verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 47 says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So when we're together in fellowship and unity, great things happen. Uh, boy, I wish I had more time to tell you a, a story. But, you know, sometimes we can get angry with each other for the right reasons. I mean, the position you take may not be necessarily wrong. It may be right. But the attitude with which you display it can can hinder the very thing you want. Does that make sense? Here at Live Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.